0: Self-denial with a purpose. If you do not have one of these, they are available at the table, and I hope you're working out the little program week by week, acquainting us with the subjects on discipleship. Luke chapter 14, beginning at verse number 25. And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother, and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he has sufficient to finish it. Lest perhaps after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he is able with ten thousand to meet him that cometh against him with twenty thousand? or else while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an an embassy and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he is of you, that forsaketh not all that he hath, cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if the salt have lost its savor, with what shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land, nor yet for the dunghill, but men cast it out. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Self-denial with a purpose. As we read these verses from Luke 14, and also these other verses that we've shared today, we are struck by the harsh tones of Scripture Jesus indicated that anyone could come to him when he said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Men began to respond to his invitation. In great numbers they responded. Luke says that great multitudes were following him at this time. But now... Instead of gathering this great number together and teaching them, he warns them. And it is this warning that introduces this particular facet of discipleship to us. We might say of this passage of Scripture, He threw cold water on them because it was different than anything they had heard him teach before. He seems to offend the very people he has called to follow him. The question arises, why would Jesus say what he said to these that have come after him in great numbers? Perhaps the answer is to be found in the nature of the crowd that was beginning to gather around Jesus. A multitude were following him for what they could receive. He knew their hearts. Their motives were selfish motives. He began to thin out the ranks when he shares with us the words of Luke 14. In this passage, he sets forth the terms of discipleship, and unquestionably, those terms surround self-denial. Three times, he says, without which no one can be my disciple. Verse 26, verse 27, and verse 33 state the severity of his terms. I want us to think about these terms in these moments we share together in this service today. Please, listen with your heart. Listen with your spirit to what Jesus Christ says to us about discipleship, about self-denial. First of all, he hits at the heart of human relationships. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. One of the best explanations of what Jesus was saying here, I found in a particular paraphrase of this passage. It read like this, if anyone does not love less his own father, his mother, his sister, or his own life, he cannot be my disciple. I think that helps us when we read the word hate, we have a funny reaction because we know that it was not Jesus' intent for us to hate our own blood relatives and not to hate ourselves. We are to love ourselves for we're created in the image of God. But the word translated from the original language means that we must love less those of our families and ourselves, then we love the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he is appealing to. Jesus used an alarm word to arrest people's attention. He is not saying that we must be malicious and hateful to our families. He is not saying that we have to abandon our homes Ignore our wives or our children in order to be his disciple. He is not saying that at all. To do these things would be to ignore much of the revelation of Scripture. We must love one another. We must love our father, our wives, as Christ loved the church. That's the revelation of Scripture. But we must love them less than we love Jesus Christ. We must be alerted to the possibility of a competition of loyalty. And that is what Jesus is saying. That love for the Lord takes precedence over all other loyalties. He must be first. There may be times when to follow Christ will appear to be hatred of those we normally love. That's what he's saying. A chaplain in Vietnam during the Vietnam crisis I read about that illustrates this point. This chaplain extended his tour of duty in Vietnam because of the great ministry God had given him among the men in the unit there on the battlefield. It wasn't an easy choice. This chaplain missed his family, he missed his children. It would appear that he had turned his back on his family to some, that he had abandoned the family, but not so at all. He would have liked nothing more than to return home, but there was obedience to a higher call. He asked to stay because of what he saw God doing through him in the lives of the men who needed Jesus Christ there in Vietnam. He loved less his family in order to fulfill the call that God had put upon his heart. Missionaries often are forced to make choices that affect their families. I awakened this morning between 5 and 6 a.m. before the alarm went off, and I had just reached out and shut it off when the phone rang. It was my brother from Paraguay calling long-distance. He called about his youngest son, Lauren, who is in Alaska. He will be entering college in Tennessee in the fall. And my brother said, Glenn, would it be possible for you to have Lauren come to Sacramento for the rest of the summer? Fishing is not good in Alaska, that's what he went up there to do. Fine young man, but he said he needs work and if you could find him some work in Sacramento and he could stay with you for the summer, he'll be ready to go to college. And my brother's voice rang with a pathos of a father, the last child other than the one that's with them in Paraguay to be married so many thousands of miles between. And I thought, how fitting was the call the morning. I wanted to talk about self-denial with a purpose. A missionary often has to adjust, spend more time on their knees in prayer because of the need of family separated because of the call of God and the burden for souls. We're willing to assume that responsibility. If you know where a fine young man could get a job for a couple months, I'd be happy to hear from you. But it illustrates how Christ must be the object of our ultimate devotion. My brother would die for his family. He loves his family immensely. But he pays the price because of the greater love for his master. So it is with most all of our missionaries. Notice, Jesus does not name sin as the deterrent to becoming a disciple. We often think of the rebellious acts of sin that keep us from following Him, but He puts His finger on the highest of human relationships. Our love for our families can literally turn us against the Lord. Interesting, isn't it? Every relationship must be examined and regulated by our determination to be a disciple. I have known young people that have had to walk away from a love relationship because to continue it would mean driving them farther away from the Lord. I have known of people who had to give up or turn down business relationships because of a higher claim on their life. What am I saying? What is your heart saying? I hope it's this. Does this relationship draw me closer to the Lord or does it separate me from the Lord? That is what Jesus is asking. Sometimes it is difficult. Many times it hurts. Men have had to walk across their own hearts out of obedience to Jesus Christ. Lillian Trasher did it at 18. When she left, a relationship to go to Egypt to minister to the orphans of Egypt. But she made the right choice. You must hate your own life, he said, to follow me. You must love your own life less than me if you're going to follow me. That is the challenge of this service and of this hour. The second thing he asks us to look at is our personal ambitions. He moves into the personal life and the necessity of laying aside our personal ambitions, our own goals in life. Self-denial with the purpose requires us to look at our personal ambitions. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. What did he mean by cross? Think of it in terms of what it meant to those disciples. Think of it in the terms of what it meant to those listening to him on that day. They knew what a cross meant. They saw often prisoners carrying their cross to the place of crucifixion. That was the Roman way. The Roman soldiers led the prisoners to crucifixion. The first time I was in Israel, the tour guide's words caught my attention when he said, you see these trees today that dot the hillsides of Israel. Those are not ancient trees. There were no trees left in Israel. Because of the act of crucifixion, the Romans took every tree off of the hills of Israel to crucify their victims. Those are all new trees that you see planted by modern Israel. They knew What Jesus meant when he said, you must be willing to take your cross and follow me. They understood it because they saw it every day they lived. It meant crucifixion. It meant dying to self. Personal ambitions laid aside. In order to be a disciple, our life must end. On the back of your bulletin, you read the verse with me today. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet it is not I that liveth, but Christ that liveth in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Those first words of Galatians 2.20 are powerful words. Hear them from the revelation of Jesus to us. I am crucified with Christ. Can you say that today? Truly say it, your ambitions have been nailed to the cross. Our Lord endured that cross. Philippians 2, 7 and 8 says, He did not think it a thing to be grasped after, to be equal with God. But, there's the conjunction in those verses that is so important, He did not think it a thing beyond possibility or rightness to be equal with God, but, He set this equation aside and became obedient unto death, even the death of a cross. He poured out His life for all men out of obedience to His Father. He set aside His prerogatives, all the glory that was His. He laid aside for us. That's what it means when he says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Romans 15:1 says, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. My heart aches so often in the ministry when I see people going their own selfish ways while many are hurting and dying all around them. No time to stop and throw an arm around somebody and say, I just want you to know I'm praying for you, I love you. Is there anything I can do to help you? We're too busy for self, too busy with our personal ambitions. Romans 15:1 says, We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to edify him, for Christ did not please himself. That's part of the New Testament record. Self-denial with a purpose, reaching out to others. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. If we are to be his disciple, he says that this must be our program as well. What would this do in our church if we would all follow this concept? It would take care of all the needs we have in the nursery when we can't get mothers to take one Sunday a month to minister in the nursery because they want to be in the services. I appreciate that, except it's not the way it ought to be. It would take care of the need of teachers in the children's department It would take care of all the visitation needs and all the benevolence needs. If, if, only if we would die to self, we would nail our ambitions to the cross and say, because I am a disciple of Jesus Christ, I'm going to start thinking of others. I am going to give myself to minister to others. Yet 25% of this church bears the need of the whole church. Did you know that? 25% carry the load for all the rest. Friends, we need to die to ourselves and get involved. Jesus said this is a mark of discipleship and it's self-denial with a purpose when we give up our self-ambitions and begin to follow after Jesus Christ. Because he's not here in the flesh, you serve him by reaching out to those in flesh. You serve him by touching your brother, your sister. You serve him by, through the church, offering yourself in whatever ministry God would grant to you. By winning the lost. You're his representative. It does not necessarily mean either it's what I want to do or what I like to do, but it's what I must do and I need to do because he's called me to do. Personal ambitions. Thirdly, he moves into the personal life and the necessity of abandoning our possessions. The things that we own, listen to this, so therefore whoever of you does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. I'm sorry folks, but I've got to talk to you about this because it's not your house and it's not your car and it's not your clothes and it's not your furniture and it's not your job. It all belongs to God. All you are is a steward using it, hopefully for His glory. So when we talk about a building program and needs You see, we are to throw everything that we have possibly into that ministry. When we talk about missionary needs, we are to respond from our hearts because we are to abandon our possessions in order to serve Christ. So hard, isn't it? Because we want the comforts. We want the niceties. There's nothing wrong with that as long as we can say, I am not the owner, I am the steward, and I have given all of this up for Jesus' sake. Possessions in themselves are not wrong. It is not the things that we own. It is the things that own us that God is talking about here. And I observe how many things own us, Rather than our owning things. Boats own some people. Motor coaches own some people. Cabins own some people. Pleasures own some people. The Lord is down here somewhere. Way down the list. Things own us in materialistic America. We need to come back to the New Testament church. We need to come back to the concepts Jesus set forth for discipleship, self-denial with a purpose, says, these are not mine. I have them to serve Christ with, and whatever I can use them for His glory, I will do it. Because they're not mine, they're His. Every possession must be brought under His authority and rule. He is not saying that he will necessarily take anything away from us, but if we are to be his disciple, we must be willing to yield all to him, the business, everything. What if God does take our family or dash our fondest dreams? How will we react? With bitterness? With anger against God? With rebellion in our heart? then it's an indication that we love them more than we love Him. That's why He says to us, bring these things to the cross because if then they are taken, we're not dashed to pieces because we recognize them as not our own anyway. They were His. That's how Job survived. Corey Tenboom, who just passed away a few weeks ago in her 90's, once said that she learned to hold everything loosely in her hand because she knew she would grasp them tightly and the Lord would have to pry her fingers away and it would hurt. I love that. She didn't want to make the Lord pry her fingers away from things, so she held all that she had loosely. And what an example she was to the world. Then after having set forth the terms of discipleship, Jesus gives the reasons for the stringency. Two parables he cites. One, a man who builds a tower, and two, a king going to encounter another king in war. Why these two figures? Are we to count the cost? No. There is no comparison between love of family and love of Jesus Christ. You cannot consider discipleship in terms of profit and loss. Then why these parables? These parables seem to be saying that it is he who counts the cost. He is the king going forth to war. Read them again. He is the king who builds a tower. He came to build His church. He came to make war with principalities and powers. What Jesus seems to be saying is, will I have enough men qualified who will stand by Me till the building is done and the battle is won? That's what Jesus is saying. He said, I have had to count the cost. Will I have enough left to build the tower, to win the war, to fight the battle? Will there be enough disciples who will be there when the going is tough. You see, the Bible sets forth that precedence. The Lord is sifting the crowd. He did it for Gideon. Gideon learned that 300 was enough, 300 dedicated people better than 32,000 undedicated ones. Nehemiah armed his men with a trowel and with a sword as the walls of Jerusalem were being rebuilt. Half of them with trowels in their hands, erecting the walls, half fighting off the opposition, building and fighting. Those are the parables. The Lord emphasized this again in verses 34 and 35 when he said, Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltness be restored? If the church has lost its flavor, then how will it be restored? can only be one way. To the cross we go. Crucifixion, death. These words of Jesus are for us because he wants to heal us. He wants to help us. Do you deny self with a purpose? Do you understand that concept at all? A concept that will get you up to pray. A concept that will open your mouth to witness. A concept that will give you ease in tithing and giving offerings a concept that will cause you to reach out to your neighbors in love and begin to be a blessing to the world. I guess that's one reason it's so difficult for me to take what people call vacations. I've had to analyze that over and over again in my heart because it causes my wife a little problem. Even this week, we were not to come back till Friday. I found myself back in my office on Thursday. Oh, it was wonderful. We had a great time, but I just couldn't stay away any longer. I saw that money being spent and I thought, what for? Honestly, I just couldn't lay out another dollar for a motel at the price they are these days. My spirit just wouldn't permit it. And I kept thinking about radio programs and about Sunday ministry and about need. And my wife just smiled and rode back to town with me. Do you understand that at all? I thought of that building program and I'd rather put the dollars in it than in to the nicest motel in Northern California. You see, I want my life to count much more than for time. I want it to be invested in eternity. You know, this New Testament concept of self-denial with a purpose. Now, some self-denial is ridiculous. The flagellation of self as some groups, that has no purpose. The isolation. The Bible colleagues that Brother Spence mentioned at District Council that had in its catalog this school is located 17 miles from any known sin. That's ridiculous. I'm talking about self-denial with a purpose that deals with human relationships and human possessions that deals with our daily life. Where we love less, father, mother, sister, brother, ourselves, than Jesus. Acts 13 tells the story of the ordination and sending forth of the Apostle Paul. When Paul started out into ministry, Ananias said that Paul would suffer for the Lord's sake. Then in Corinthians, Paul details some of his experiences. Five times he received 39 stripes, three times beaten with rods, once he was stoned, three times suffered shipwreck a night and a day in the deep perils by his own countrymen, perils by heathen, perils in the city, perils in the wilderness, perils in the sea, perils among false brethren, weariness, painfulness, watchings often, hunger and thirst, fastings often in cold and in nakedness. They stripped him of his clothing and lashed him with an awful scourge, until bleeding and lacerated and broken, he fell helpless and unconscious. They doused him with a bucket of salt water to keep the maggots off his body and threw him into a cell to recover. This was the price of apostleship for the Apostle Paul. And it's no different in 1983 than it was in 65 AD. No different Years ago, there was a revival in South Africa under the leadership of a great evangelist by the name of John Lake. Dr. Lake preached powerfully, and I have quite a number of his sermons in my possession. There were 125 men on the field in South Africa at one time under his leadership But finances became very low so that he couldn't even send $10 to one of those 125 to sustain them. So here in America, people sold clothing and furniture and everything they could in order to bring that team of 125 home for a conference. They needed to talk about the future. They all met together. The decision had to be made, shall we go back? This was their conclusion as they spoke to Dr. Lake. We are going back if we have to walk back. We're going back if we have to starve. We're going back if our wives die. We are going back if our children die. We are going back if we die ourselves. We have but one request. If we die, we want you to come and bury us. In one year, Dr. Lake buried 12 men, 16 wives and children, most of whom would have lived if they had had the normal food to eat. But a revival, like the Acts revival, broke out in South Africa. I mean, thousands were converted, hundreds of churches were raised up. In the communion, Jesus said, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, drink ye all of it. At least nine of those disciples were martyrs, possibly all of them. Peter died on a cross. James was beheaded. Thomas was nailed to an olive tree. John was sentenced to be executed at Ephesus by putting him in a cauldron of boiling oil. God delivered him, and his executioners refused to repeat the operation. So John was banished to Patmos, John thought so little of the experience that he never even tells the story. He simply says, I was in the isle called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. There it is. For the testimony of Jesus Christ. Self-denial with a purpose. In early Methodism, the preacher would walk all Saturday night to preach on Sunday, then walk all night Sunday to get back to his work on Monday. Peter Cartwright preached for $60 a year and baptized 10,000 converts. This preacher's heart is being stirred about his commitment and his self-denial as I come to this area of discipleship. God is trying to restore the character of consecration is what the Spirit has witnessed to me. Let me say that again. God is trying to restore the character of consecration. Well, the leadership of the church shouldn't have to worry about whether people are going to get there on Sunday night or Wednesday night or be involved in the witnessing arm of the church or being salt and light in the world, but that we are all consecrated to the purposes of Jesus Christ so that even family is loved less than Jesus is loved and self is loved less than Jesus is loved. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Oh, I wish I could talk to you till noon. There's one more thing I've got to say before we quit, and that has to do with the next chapter of Luke into the 15th chapter. I saw something here that I want you to see. At the end of chapter 14, Jesus said, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Then in the 15th chapter, it was the sinners and publicans who heard him. They wanted to be a part of this operation. They were willing to let Jesus Christ move into their lives and correct and qualify them for the task. And the Pharisees and the scribes murmured, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. You see, it wasn't the religious folk that responded. It was the other folk, the tax collectors and the sinners. They were all drawing near to hear him. And I see that. Oh, I see that where people who ought to be leading the way. They've known the Lord for years, but they're standing on the sidelines criticizing the coach and criticizing the plays that are being called. And their spirits are getting bitter and their usefulness is getting less and less. And I saw it here in this 15th chapter. The Pharisees and the scribes, those who should have been right next to Jesus and their heart beating with the heart of Jesus. They were repelled because there was so much to give up. And then I saw it. Jesus loves to take sinners and turn them into soldiers. And I just have a feeling that in this service today he's going to take some of us unworthy sinners and turn us into soldiers. Last night Barbara Hardcastle was telling me about a young couple in Tulsa, Oklahoma who, 30 years of age, approximately took a church of 400 people recently, five years ago in fact, and today there are 4,000 members. And I said, well, Barbara, what's the secret? She said, Those lay people are winning their neighbors to Christ. They're witnessing in the offices by their lives and out on the school grounds, wherever they go. They're truly disciples. And this young couple is just leading them and molding them and directing them from the Word of God. And they've grown from 400 to 4,000 in five years. The secret being the lay people, self-denial with a purpose, Let your light so shine before men that they may glorify your Father which is in heaven. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Does it fit your life? Let's pray. Dear Jesus, This is not the kind of theme that causes people to jump out of their seats and start shouting, but yet it's perhaps one of the most important messages I've ever preached from this pulpit. Get a hold of us. Shake us loose from things, from loving people, even in our families, more than we love you, loving our comforts more than we love you stir us. If your heart is beating with mine before I say amen, I just want you to stand to your feet. God is speaking to your heart. The Holy Spirit is tugging at your heart. In regard to this theme, would you just stand up?